have become hesitant to take God at His word. And God has a lot to say about how He is the source of blessing and we are the avenue in which, is he, in which he uses us to bless others. So for those of you that may have a bulletin, there's an outline in that bulletin of some of the points. And I do want you to know that at the end of these messages over this next, next month, I'm going to be having a special handout that our ushers have... Uh, for the service after today that you can take with you and that you can use this as a devotional tool for this coming week as it gives you some things to think about and some things that you and your husband or wife or those of you that uh, are by yourself can take and look through and begin to study some of this on your own. But number one this morning, I want you to know that God is the source of your financial blessings. God is the source of your financial blessings. Years ago, there was an old man that was building a house in the Northeast, and it was one of those times long ago when they actually were digging wells and needed to pump them. And so he had gone into town and he had hired a, a man that was well known in the area for being able to find water on property. And the old well digger that was seasoned in his art of the trade had come to this property and walked around. And sure enough, he found a place that uh, he said, this is where you want to dig. And he began to sink a shaft and he hit into the tributary of an underground river. As he was packing up his gear after finding water for this homeowner, he left him with some important advice. He says, you are going to need to come out here every day and pump that pump to make sure that water comes through. He says, you're going to have to do that every day or you'll be sorry. As time went by, the homeowner every day went out there and uh, began to pump water and was never disappointed at the sweet water that came his way. But there was a time that he was getting ready to leave for a trip. He failed to bring anybody to come to his house to pump it and it went several days without being pumped. When he got home... He went to the thing that he had already been tapped into and nothing came out. As he's looking down in the well, he says that even the smell of that water began to sense as if it was stagnant. And so he went to the town and he found the man who had dug the well in the first place and told him what was going on. He says, everything's dried up. It's all stagnant. It's, I don't know what happened. And the, dig, the old well digger said, did you pump every day? The man says, well, I have to admit to you that I was negligent in that and I did not do that. And he says, well, here's what's happened. He says, you have to understand that this was a little tributary that I had tapped into. And he says, and over a period of time, if you don't pump it every day and the suction of that water coming up fills your well, if you don't do that, it dries up. And once you've lost touch with that, we have to redig to try to find that again. He says, it will dry up and you will never understand because your well will look like it has something in it, but there's nothing fresh. He said, you have to remember that the source of your water is not your well. The source of your water is the underground river. And as I begin to think about that story, I said, you know, the source of our financial strength is not our own personal well of resources. If you think that everything relies on you, you will be sorely disappointed when the resources run dry. We must recognize this morning that there's a difference between the source and the means. We have a, a tendency to think that our bank accounts that our abilities and our intellects are the sources of our provision of blessings, when in fact they are not. They are simply a means that God uses from time to time to bring provision into your life. To experience the abundance of God, we must first come to understand that He is the source of every blessing. He is the underground river that we tap into. He will not let you down when you trust in Him. And there are a number of spiritual principles about giving that relate closely to how God chooses to either bless us or to withhold His blessings. 
And if we want our wells to contain enough resources to function effectively in this world, then we must trust God and what He has to say about our life and our finances. The Bible teaches that giving generously out of love for God will tap you in to the unseen river of His blessing. There are a number of scriptures that I'm going to share with you this morning. The first is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. In Paul's thank you note to the church in Philippi, he was thanking them for their financial support, and he said, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Paul told them, My God will meet your needs. How many of you experienced God meeting needs when it didn't seem likely? Probably most of us that have walked with God for any length of time knows the truth that God as the source provides in ways from time to time that are completely unexpected when we have learned to tap into the river of His blessing. Paul emphasizes within this verse, number one, the loving care of the Father. I am glad I proclaim to us today that we have a Father that cares about us. I have a Father that knows us. I have a Father that desires to provide for us. And he says that He will meet your needs, financial and spiritual, as you present them to Him. I'm also glad that He's not afraid when we come to Him that we can take our needs to Him, even though He knows them before we ever come to Him. But He says, please come, tell me, I will meet your needs. Within this verse is also contained the idea that His provision is not limited to you or to your abilities. And He will meet them in Christ Jesus. There's a relationship. And for those of you that may be here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that there is great blessings that are available to you in relationship with Christ Jesus the Lord. The greatest is salvation. The greatest is knowing that the life that we have lived in the past that has not pleased the Lord can be washed away. And that there's a freedom in us and a newness in us and a newness of life that God gives to us. There are also innumerable other blessings that are available in relationship to Jesus Christ, this being one of them. I grew up in farm country, in in corn country in particular in Nebraska. And we learned there by seeing every year the law of the harvest. It was something that God speaks of often in Scripture. and In fact, it was the way that we share our resources and the most practical issues of life that we face. And simply stated, the law of the harvest is, the more you reap, the more you sow. Or the more you sow, the more you reap. Where I grew up in Nebraska, we had these magnificently huge tractors that would go through at planting season, and there was a scientific formula that many of our farmers had used uh, through years of trial and error to figure out what the greatest way to get the greatest harvest was. And, And so implements were made to make sure that they planted corn seeds every eight inches, and that not only were the corn planted every eight inches, but the rows between them were 30 inches, which gave just enough room for the irrigation water to travel between them. And that the plants, as they grew in that, it would become a good and healthy stand that was close enough for proper pollination. And, and uh, in doing that, it required that they planted between 30 and 32,000 seeds every acre. Now, if a farmer planted only a few hundred seeds an acre, he was going to get a lousy stand of corn. But the more they planted, the more they were able to harvest. And I can tell you that 
when harvest time came, it didn't matter whether it was day or night. They were on some of those combines. They had huge lights on them. And uh, in the farm country, everybody in the church jumped and went to the farmers to help them. And it was harvest time. And sometimes they would work all night long in these huge things, bringing in this magnificent harvest because they had been very uh, good in the way that they had planted. The Scripture tells us in Genesis 8.22, as long as the earth endures... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. I think it's interesting that before he even mentions seasons, he talks about seed time and harvest. The very first thing he says in this, there is a law of harvest that is at work through the Scripture. And while this passage contains physical planting and harvest, throughout the Bible you find the law of the harvest applies to more than just the physical production of crops. In fact, this law of the harvest applies to every area of our life, including our moral behavior. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Within the context of this, was talking about, listen, you better be careful of the way that you live. The way that you treat people. The way you treat your family. The way you treat your co-workers. The way that you treat others. Be careful of the way, young people, that you date, because you will reap what you sow. There is a corresponding nature of the harvest, even as it relates to our own moral behavior. Another illustration appears in Matthew 17, when Jesus' disciples were unable to cast out an evil spirit from the boy, and Jesus told them this, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus indicates that the mustard seed was a very small seed, but it represented the amount of faith that was necessary to see God do a work. In other words, there are none of us that have an impossibility of faith. If you trust the Lord and apply His principles, even the smallest amount of trust will bring a response from the Lord. The Holy Spirit guided Paul to use the harvest imagery to encourage us to become more generous as givers. When in our text in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, whoever, or in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There is a law of the harvest. Secondly, this morning, I want you to understand that God promises rewards. When you take him at his word with your giving. Giving to the Lord is in fact a God-backed, guaranteed investment. Not an uncertain gamble. Let me repeat that for you. Giving to the Lord is in fact a God-backed, guaranteed investment. Not an uncertain gamble. Jesus... I love this about, about the, the word and the, the way Jesus speaks. He talks about rewards because he knows that's going to perk our interest. I like even the terminology. He says, if you do this, there's going to be a reward. How many parents have ever rewarded their children for good grades? Three. It worked for me. I know the rewards that I got were probably different than anybody else. Like I said, I grew up in farm country. I used to be a part of Future Farmers of America. 4-H club, my reward was that if I kept my grades up, my mom and dad would buy me a new Hereford calf that I could show in the fairs every year. (laughs) 
I fail to see the humor of that. There's something about us that responds to rewards. Jesus teaches us to give without public display in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4. He says, then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. What was taking place at the time was that those who were giving a lot were making a big show of it so that they would receive the public applause of everybody who was around. And the Lord says, you know what, I want you to know that I know what you give even when nobody else knows. And I will reward those who don't make a show of what they give. Matthew 10.42, he teaches, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, he will certainly not lose his reward. And as you begin to, to view these two verses <clears throat> excuse me, together, you begin to see that sometimes it's not the amount. You might say, but others can give far more than I can. I want you to know that the Lord says anything that you give with the right attitude is rewardable. If all you can give is a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, then give what you can give in the name of the Lord. Because it becomes rewardable by what you do. And so the Lord reinforces a cause and effect relationship between giving and receiving. And it is not wrong to desire healthy rewards. It's not unscriptural nor unspiritual to think, Lord, I want to do some things for you because I know that you said you're going to reward them. He wouldn't have said it if it wouldn't have mattered to us. And so he uses this motivation of reward and the terminology of this and rewards to inspire us in obedience and to take him at his word. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says this, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34, and I'm not going to read all of this, but I want you to at least know that Jesus compares giving to storing up treasures in heaven. In other words, there is this, this heavenly investment scheme that He has at work for us. That every time you are generous on this earth, you are making investments into an account in heaven that you don't know what's going on there, but I can guarantee you that that investment has not gone down this year. He says, you're storing up treasure. He uses the word treasure. You're storing up treasure in heaven. As you are honest with Him in the way that you deal with your financial life on this earth. In fact, there are specific rewards that are mentioned. The first reward that is mentioned is He says, You will be made rich in every way. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11, our text for today. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I have spent a lot of time this week on this verse. I can't begin to tell you how many different writers I've read and went back to the Greek lexicon and broke it down in every way because I wanted to be sure that what I present to you today is biblically factual. I want you to see, first of all, that as you look at this verse, it starts out that says, Now he who supplies seed. In other words, God wants to remind you from the very beginning that you don't provide for yourself. He's the one that created the seed in the first place. You notice that? Now he who provides. He who provides. God who provides that which you take from the very beginning. He is the ultimate provider. He provides seed to you. And that seed represents, can represents so many different things. And then he talks about and bread for food. In other words, the Lord knows we need to eat. 
He brings those provisions to you. It also says that He will also supply and increase your store of seed. Now, as you look at this in the context of this, the Lord is saying, as, as the ultimate provider, the more you give, the more I will give you to give. I will increase your store of seed that you then plant elsewhere. And I will enlarge your harvest. How many of you would like to have an enlarged harvest in 2012? Ten of you. We're getting better. And then we get to this line. You will be made rich in every way. Honestly, I'm going to tell you something. When I read this, there's a, there's a fearfulness in, in talking about this. It makes us a little uncomfortable. But as I begin to break this down into what the original Greek says about this, you will be made rich, <clears throat> comes from the Greek participle, plutizomenoi. And it's interpreted as this, able to be generous. In other words, the scripture would say, you will be made to be able to be generous in every way so that your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be made to be able to be generous. This is the way, the way the Lord uses the term rich. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, that is so different than the concept of rich that we have in our world today. And as I'm praying, saying, Lord, help me in some way to come to a way that I can, that I can adequately express this in a way that brings pleasure to you, the thought began to hit me that here's the difference. In the world in which we live, rich means to accumulate. In fact, we see the bumper stickers. He who dies with the most toys wins. Never fully understood that one. But it feeds the accumulation mindset that we live in in this world. That, Lord, if you're blessing me, I must have an accumulation. Everybody can look and say, I am blessed because I have a lot. That is not what the Scripture says. And in the eyes of the world, we are facing this accumulation mindset versus the mindset that being rich in the eyes of the Lord means that we are able by His source to be generous to others. That's what the Lord sees as rich. That I will bless your lives in such a way that your generosity is going to bless others' lives and that the Lord stands back and applauds. You are rich in all things when you can bless others in all things. And so we face this accumulation doctrine that has been so twisted within the world as it relates to Scripture. And I want you to be sure that you understand today that the pastor is not telling you that if you give offerings to the Lord that He's going to let you accumulate. That's not what the Scripture says. His blessings is that you can be a channel God promises that if we give to Him, He will give us the financial capacity to be generous. The Bible describes riches to us as both spiritual and material. There within this word, within this, this Greek participle, is the understanding that His blessings to us do not limit themselves to only being able to be generous financially. There's also the ability within us to be able to be generous with people spiritually. In other words, you can be generous with God's grace by forgiving others. You can be rich in the grace that you extend to people. You can be rich in God's glory. Your attitude makes a difference to the people around you. 
There are people that like to be around you because you are naturally joyful. Even when things are going wrong, there's something about your nature. People want to be around you because you build them up. Your nature is that which uplifts them. That's the generosity of the Lord making you rich in His glory. You can be rich in God's presence. (coughs) You can be rich in His approval. You can be rich in His understanding. And honestly, I ask God for this more than anything else. I would rather be rich in the understanding of His Word than I would to accumulate the things of this world. I would rather have devotional time that is rich because of the the explosion of knowledge that God gives to us in His Word that leads our life than to be looked at by the world by people and say, boy, they've accumulated a lot. We can be rich in His wisdom. We can be rich in His insight. We can be rich in His counsel. We can be rich in all things that belong to the nature of the Lord, according to the Scripture. And when we are generous givers, we have access to all of these riches. If deep in your heart you have a desire to be a good manager of God's resources and want to be generous in meeting needs so that people can give thanks to God, then you must expect God to provide for you. And Paul sets the stage for the proper desire of our heart when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I want you to think about this for a minute. Because this sets the proper stage for everything that the Word has to say to us about being rich in every way. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had everything, all power, everything at His disposal, made Himself like us, clothed Himself in humanity, became poor, gave it all up. Why? So that we could have His riches. He gave it to us as heirs. So that we through his poverty, might become rich or able to be generous in all things. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, it will give you a proper focus that will keep you from twisting the Scripture to make it about you. Reward number two. He, you will receive more than you give. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. The Scripture says, Give. And it shall be given you. Honestly, if we were writing this, we would say, He has given it to us first, so now we can maybe give some of it. But notice that the obedience aspect of this is the first thing that's spoken of. The Lord says, I have already provided you with seed. I want you to give, and then it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For the measure you use will be the measure it is measured to you. Now, I really wanted to have an object lesson today so that I could sit here with some sand and a little cup and sit here on my lap and kind of shake it down and get all the air out of it and scoop some more in there. So you're just picturing this in your mind, aren't you? Boy, you guys are... Are you awake? <coughs> but you've got this measuring cup and, you know, you're packing. You're trying to get as much into it as you possibly can. And, and the Lord begins to describe the way that He brings blessing to His people in a way that we can understand... That it's not like, you know, just a little bit. I mean, you're packing it in. Shaking it around. Blowing all the air out. Everything you can. And the Lord says that He will pour that into you and it will overflow into your lap. And then there are these words. 
that really tie this together. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. For your ability to be generous will be the same measure that the Lord uses as His ability to be generous to you. It's the law of cause and effect as it relates to the Lord within our financial life. And so this is the invitation from Jesus to His people to tap into His economy. Be generous and I will be more generous with you. I will make sure that you get more than you gave. And for years people have struggled with this text. But I have to tell you, I have never seen an exemption to this rule. When I was with my dad last week and he told me, he says, what's God sharing on your heart for, for this year? And I begin to tell him about this. He goes, oh, 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 use me as an example. He goes, I am in my retirement years after being a missionary in Africa and Europe. And he says, you know, your mom and I, we, we always felt generous with everything that God gave us. And he says, you know, there were times when I wondered, will I even be able to retire? And he goes, I want you to know that God is a God that has sources you don't know anything about. He says, as long as you put His principles into place, even when it doesn't make sense, God will always respond. He says, I'm a living testimony of the proof that God will never let you outgive Him. This works not only in finances, it also works in love. If you love people, you give more love, they're going to love you back. If you give friendship, you're going to receive more friends in return. It works with smiles. If you smile at people, seven out of ten will smile back. The struggle here is not to think in a materialistic way that we are giving money just so that God will give us more money back. The materialistic way of thinking in this would be that God's going to let you accumulate. I'm giving this, Lord, so that you give me more and then I'm going to keep it. Lord, I'm going to give this to you. Now, here's the amount I gave, expecting that you would give me more back so that I will have more without understanding the effect of the channel that the Lord wants to use you through. A spiritual person obeys and trusts God to release His blessings, to provide all the resources of life. Listen to this. An unspiritual person believes they produce the wealth by their human effort. Therefore, God, keep your stinking hand out of my wallet. An unspiritual person thinks you produced it. It was my work. It's my mind. My effort. I'm the one that went to work eight hours a day. God had nothing to do with this, so God, just stay away from my money. And unfortunately, we let that begin to seep in to the church because we think, I want God only for salvation. I want hell insurance from you, God. I want, I, I'm, I said the prayer, said it with my lips, believe it in my heart that you will keep me from burning in hell for eternity. But stay away from my finances. And you've lost the concept of allowing Him to be Lord of all. The third reward is that you will receive a greater blessing. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says, It's more blessed to give than to receive. I have to admit to you that it's a blessing also to receive. Any of you agree with me? Especially when I was a kid at Christmas time. We like to receive. Nothing wrong with receiving. 
But Jesus said the greatest blessing comes in the giving. My wife will agree with me on this, but when I went to India a number of years ago, it changed my view on giving and receiving. When I stood in a feeding line and I'm feeding people that had nothing, watched a lady that didn't even have a cup to put her food in and we scooped it into her clothes and watched as she fed her kids and then she sucked the taste of the gravy out of her clothes as the only meal she would eat that day. Reaching into my pocket and taking the little that I had and asking those that were working there in Calcutta saying, how many will this feed? And they're going, you can't believe, but when you put what you have into the hands of God, how far it will go. And I came back in that December, walked into our house to see our Christmas tree and, and knew that we had the kids and we had, you know, you, you want the Christmas tree to look good so it's like you take socks and you wrap them individually. Looks more like presents on a tree. And you stand there and you're looking at everything and I remember the feeling that came over me as I'm looking at the blessings of the Lord in our life as it relates to what the rest of the world in many cases go through. And we will expound upon this as it relates to Haiti and, and one day to feed the world at the end of this month. But I suddenly begin to recognize the absolute joy that I had in making sure that I could be the avenue of which God could meet the needs of others, which was more important than what He could do in me. And I learned that it truly is more blessed to give than receive, to see the faces of those who you became the answer to God's prayer. You became the answer to their prayer. During Hurricane Katrina, there's a church called the Harvest Church, an Assembly of God church in Slidell, Louisiana. Last year, as I was doing a Speed the Light tour through Mississippi, we slid over and, and got to see some pictures of some of the things that had happened there during that hurricane. It was a church that probably runs about 1,100 people, completely, completely inundated and ruined in the flood. They had quite a large staff at that church, and the pastor pulled the staff together after the first couple of days and realized that the congregation had literally had to scatter to survive. Many of them left to go be with family members because their jobs were wiped out, the church was wiped out, their homes were wiped out. They had nothing. And as the pastor called the staff together, he told them, he says, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to lay all of you off because we don't have a congregation here right now. There's just, there's nothing that we can do. And Pastor John Lindell, who pastors the James River Assembly of God Church, had heard about the dilemma. And he and his board and staff got together and they, they sent word to that pastor, keep your staff together. We want you to know that we don't want you to make any rash decisions, that we will pay the entire salaries of your staff until you guys can figure out what to do. Because this isn't a time for you to run when your congregation's in the greatest need. And they said, you work out the details, we'll take care of the rest. An enormous gesture of generosity. Pastor John Lindell would tell you today that God has repaid that to their church multiple, multiple times. He says, we've learned you cannot, you cannot outgive God even when it doesn't make any sense. What a great testimony of being more blessed to give than to receive. And the final point this morning is that you will receive blessings in kind. Both common sense and scriptures imply that the type of seed you sow determines the type of crop you will receive. I'm not much of a gardener. I did okay with corn. When it comes to gardens, I'm not so good. But I have discovered if you plant radish seeds, you're not going to get lettuce. If you plant corn, you're going to get more corn. 
If you sow moral actions in your daily life, you're going to reap a moral life, according to Galatians chapter 6. If you sow faith, you're going to reap faith, according to Matthew chapter 17. If you sow financially, you're going to reap financially, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you sow faith in Christ's atonement, you're going to reap eternal life. If you sow Bible study, you're going to reap biblical insight. This same cause and effect principle applies to judging, condemning, and forgiving. What you reap, the way you act, the way you treat people, the way you treat the Lord and His Word is what you are going to reap. Jesus wants us to know that not only will we receive more than we give, Jesus tells us that the amount and the kind of gift we give will, be, will determine the kind of gift we receive from Him. I've done a lot of study this week and I have to tell you, I did not find one exception to this rule. Not one. And so as we begin this study, I do not want you leaving here saying, the pastor is after my money. That's wrong. Because thank God we ended the year better than we've been in a long time in this church. Praise God. We had our business meeting in October where we barely ended in the black. The last three months were wonderful. We ended this year better than we've been in a long time. We give God the glory for that. So I'm not here begging from you. I'm here instructing you what the Word of God says as it relates to your finances and the principles that as you apply them opens the river of God's blessing to your life. God's Word calls us to have faith in His promises. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come. When you are facing too much month at the end of your money, remember God promised that He would provide for your, your needs. And more. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's this magnificent story of a widow who was about to lose her sons because she was in such debt. She didn't know what to do. She ran to the prophet and she says, Listen, we've been faithful. My husband, before he died, was faithful. We did everything that we could do to be obedient to God. And now this is the condition we find ourselves in. My, my sons are about to be taken by creditors and have to go to work. I'm going to lose my only source of hope and income through my boys. What does God want us to do? And the prophet speaking for the Lord said to her, I want you to go and tell me what you have in your house. And she says, I've just got a little dinky bit of oil. It's just a little bit. And he says, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to all of your neighbors and ask them for all the empty oil jugs. Don't just get a few, get a lot. Go to all the neighborhoods. Go big neighborhood. Go across town. Whatever it takes. You go get empty jars from everybody you know and then introduce yourself to people that you don't know and ask them for their empty jugs. And after you have done that and you've gotten every empty jug that you can possibly accumulate, then go into your house and close the door. And so this lady and her sons obeyed the Lord, and the Scripture tells us in 2 Kings that they went everywhere that they could go. Got every empty jar they could get, went in the house, closed the door, and the prophet says, then begin to take the little bit that you have and pour it. And you're about to see that God is the source, not you. And the Scripture tells us that she began to pour, and that oil never stopped. I mean, she's yelling at her boys, Need another empty jar! And they're running over to her and handing it to her, and she just keeps pouring. And the more she pours, the more she smiles. I would imagine she was even shaking as she is watching the miracle of God's provision before her very eyes. And every
every time they would fill one up, she'd grab another one. There may have even been drips on the floor as they're, they're, they're making the adjustment from one jar to another. And after a while, when they got to the last jar, she's pouring and it got to the very tip of the last jar. And she goes, any more jars? And they said, nope. And the oil stopped right there. The very last drip. The only thing that kept God from more provision was there was no more emptiness. And she sold that oil. Paid all of her debts. Because God provides as the source when you don't know where it's going to come from. Not only did God provide for her, but the amount of God's provision was in direct proportion to her trust. He gave her as much oil as she was prepared to receive. God's response to money problems is the same as His answer to health concerns, to family problems, to difficult circumstances. God wants us to trust Him, not our own resources. Please tell me you understand that this morning. God wants us to trust Him, not our own resources. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, and I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me as I read this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Since God wants our hearts, He will work through your finances. And I recognize that it's easier for people sometimes to give God their soul than it is to give Him complete trust of their finances. Because my soul I can't see. It's by faith I trust. To trust Him with finances means I actually have to put something that's tangible and means something to me into His hands. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. Maybe you're here and say, you know, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes. I'm just being obedient to the Lord, so if your toes hurt, it's God's fault, not mine. But I also want you to understand that the investment policy of God is one that will never fail. If we believe that we are living in the last days of time, then honestly, the opportunity to invest in the economy of God may be growing short. And if He rewards those who diligently seek Him, then I want to make sure that I withhold nothing from Him within my life. It's within my ability to give. The first question that I want to ask you this morning is if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're hearing about the finances and the economy of God and how He responds and the rewards that He gives and you know right now you don't qualify because you don't have a relationship with Him. I want you to know that that's the first step to take is God is a lover of you. He loves you. He gave His life to be in relationship with you to cleanse you from unrighteousness and to save you and to help you start in a new path. And today, if you're here 
and you would like to have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask everybody to just close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're here and you would want to respond today, say, Today, Pastor, I want to start with that and make Jesus my Savior. I'm going to simply ask that you would lift your head and look me in the eye, and I'm going to agree with you. I will not embarrass you. And I'm going to start over here on your far right, my left. I agree with you, sir. I agree with you, ma'am. Moving to the center section here. Is this your day to start relationship with Jesus? Hallelujah. Moving to the left center section. I agree with you, sir. I agree with you, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The far left. Is this your time to start relationship with God? And now I want to ask a question to the church. Again, heads bowed. Saying, Pastor, this may be one of the areas that I have struggled with, but I want to trust God more for this than I ever have in the past. I want to be rich in generosity in every way. I want to apply the Scriptures this year in my life and trust the Lord at new levels. And I know it's going to take an enormous step of faith. And as we get through this, we are going to begin to talk about ways to take steps of faith when financially your life is so tight. But if you're willing to take a step of faith and say, I'm going to trust the Lord this year, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. All across this sanctuary, yes. Father God, we start this year, oh God, the second Sunday of the year, by focusing our attention on You, recognizing that You are the source of eternal life. And for each individual, Lord, these men and women that responded today with just... A glance that said, Pastor, I'm in need of that relationship. I pray today that by their own will that they will invite you into their life. And so together we are going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would each repeat after me as we pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I respond to that love today by trusting you with my salvation. Please clean my life up. Forgive me of all the sins I've committed. I trust that your crucifixion paid the price for me. I receive that as my payment for sin. And I accept the life that you give through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I pray that as these new names are being recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, that as all of heaven rejoices, we likewise rejoice in the fact that there are new people entering into relationship with you today. And now, Lord, I pray for your church. For, Father, by the response, there are a number of us that are standing here today saying, we want to trust you more than we ever have before. And for some people it will be an enormous step of faith, but we are going to begin to trust in the principles of the law of harvest as it relates to you, and we will trust your word and make application of it. I pray for your people today that this will be a year of victory in debt reduction, 
that this will be a year, O oh God, of victory as it comes to being generous with the kingdom of God in every way. That this will be a year that Grace Assembly will have a greater impact on our community in ways that we can meet needs of our own local community as well as the world than ever before, God, because we trust You to be the source. And we are the avenue by which You want to be generous to the world. And so we pray this today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.